0: Children's Church. All right. Children's Church. There's a children's church. (laughs) Exit stage right. Your left. Be good. Now I know by now. Some of you are considering children's church as a viable alternative. (laughs) But let me encourage you with this. Some of us here needed to lose a couple pounds today, and we're going to do it. We have built you this wonderful sauna. I said us, I did not say you. Well, good morning. It is good to see you this morning. Uh, It is uh, a little different. I see the fans going. You can turn them this way every now and then. Every third fan. One, two, three to the preacher. One, two. Uh, If you're our guest this morning, you probably wonder why in the year 2013 would a bunch of backwoods people, some from Burke County and others living in Burke County or Caldwell or Catawba, I miss anybody? I think we're good. Um, Would subject themselves to such things. Well, this is actually, I believe, a very important uh, thing for our church this morning because it has been uh, more than uh, two years, best I can tell, uh, since we have had a worship service in this building. Um, This is obviously not something we're going to do permanently in this condition uh, but it's kind of a taste of, of what we have ahead of us as we have uh, begun the process of doing uh, the necessary renovations to this building uh, for it to um, not be a sauna anymore. Uh, I am reminded of a few years ago when I went to Honduras. Uh, if you don't know where that's at, that's in Central America. Okay, they have real hot. Right, we, have, we have fake hot here. They have real hot. In, Honduras. in January, it's, you know, like 95. And in the summer, you just don't even want to be there. And, and we went to this church out in this village, and it was a block church. And if you go to a lot of places in the world, especially if you go there to do mission work and you visit a church, what you will notice is that they don't have these things that we call windows. They don't have, many of them, this thing we call Electricity. Um, and so these folks would meet and the time I went to their service, we were sitting there and the preacher is preaching and I wasn't paying a lot of attention because I don't know Spanish, so I, I wasn't really engaged in what he was doing. And I looked to my right and there we had a visitor in the church and everybody likes visitors, right? I mean, that's, that's our thing. If you're our guest this morning, uh, we're very glad that you're with us because everybody likes guests, but this one had four legs and fur. The dog had come to church. Now, I'm sad to report he did not get saved at the end of the service, but I am sure they continue to pray for him afterwards. So I would say that even in our condition this morning, uh, we are blessed. I will tell you the reason it is warm in here is because you're breathing. It was cool in here the other day when nobody was in here at this time, so if you'll just stop that for the next hour, we'll be good. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, we're going to finish chapter 1 this morning. If you have not been with us previously, I want to catch you up as to where we are. In Ephesians so far, Paul has been talking about this wonderful inheritance that we have through God in Christ Jesus, that God has given us. That God has called us His people. That God has adopted us as sons and daughters. He has given us an inheritance that is far greater than we could ever receive on our own. Uh, Something amazing, and not only has He given us something now in Christ Jesus, but He has something ahead for us one day that we'll be able to take hold of. And in the meantime, until we are able to take hold of it, the Bible tells us here in the book of Ephesians that the Holy Spirit has sealed us so that it can never be taken away, so that we'll have it forever. And so that brings us to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. And I invite you this morning, if you're able to stand with me in the reverence to God's Word, if you have your Bible or it's there on the screen. Paul says this. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, but also in the one to come. And He has put all things under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You may be seated. I hope this morning the Lord will add to the reading and the hearing of His Word. Paul, in these first 14 verses, has told them over and over and over again what they have in Christ. And so when we get to verse 15, we have a a transition. He says, for this reason, for this reason, he has told them all of these things, and then he does something interesting. And I, I hope this morning that we can see this as a pattern for ourselves that we can see this as a pattern for our life, because he begins to pray for those people who are there in Ephesus. He begins to pray for them, and he, may, he begins to pray that they would have wisdom. How interesting it is, and I, I, I didn't plan this out, but, but that on the day that we have Graduate Sunday, on the day when we celebrate the achievement of the young folks in our church who have accomplished something that's very great, uh, something that can't be taken away from them, and something that they are going to be able to use as a bridge over into uh, the rest of their lives. How interesting it is that that Paul's letter here talks about wisdom. All of these things that he has been describing in verses 1 through 4, are not just things that we should think of as some type of, of theological understanding that we, we have here at church and we can think about here at church and we can, we can hear the preacher talk about or our Sunday school or our life application groups, you know, and we just hear it talked about it and that's fine. What Paul wants them to understand is that these things that Christ has done for us. Because you are His, because He has bought you, because He has redeemed you, it means something for your life. The sad statistic is that in most churches, when when teenagers graduate from high school and when young people go off to college, they often will abandon everything that they have held dear. They will abandon the things that they have been taught. They will throw them away. And unlike maybe days before when they would come back, they don't. So it is important for all of us, no matter our age and no matter our situation in life, to take the things that Christ has done for us and make them real in our lives. Not to simply have them as some abstract thought that we think about on on Sunday morning. But it should be the driving force behind what we do each and every day. And that is what Paul gets at when he starts here in verse 15 and says, For this reason, and then he says, I pray for you. Look there, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He gives thanks for them because he sees in their heart their love of the gospel, their faith in Christ that they have, and their love for other people. Well, what are those two things? Those are the basics of our faith. Listen, you can't tell me about your spiritual journey and the greatness of your faith until I see your love for Christ and your love for other believers. If those two things are absent, well, the rest of it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, what kind of example are we setting if we do not love Christ first and we do not love other believers? If those things are absent in our life, then really, you know, what do we have? I, in the position I am in, I interact with people at some of their lowest levels. I interact with them when they're going through some of the most difficult circumstances. And if in those circumstances there's no love for Christ and there's no love for others, then my first concern is not that they grow, but that they come to know him. So Paul says, since you have those things, since I have seen your love for Christ, I have seen your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom. He says he thanks God that they have these basic things. Most of you in this room have, have been to church before. This is not your first time. If it is, then a lot of this is going to seem very foreign and odd and you're going to have a lot of questions. But if you've been to church before and you have come to know Christ, you have been saved, you have been baptized, you have joined the church, you, you know who Christ is. That's something that I give thanks for. That's something we as Believers should rejoice in. But Paul does not stop there. Because if you and I are going to be what God has called us to be, if we're going to be the Christian that God has called us to be in this life, then it has to go further than that. It has to be more than simply saying, well, I know Jesus. It's amazing how often someone will tell me or you that, well, I am a Christian. But if you begin to dig into that, you, you find out that either know they're not or, or they, don't, they don't really know much. We, we don't often do a good job of discipling people. That's what Paul prays for. Look at the, the three things, the three elements of wisdom that he wants them to have first he wants them to know he says in verse 18 having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know number one what is the hope to which he has called you how interesting it is that so many people claim to know Christ they claim the name of Christ but they don't understand the hope that we have in him they go through their lives living as if they are defeated. Now I'm not wanting you to hear this this morning as some type of have more faith and everything's going to be okay, or or have more faith and your bank accounts are going to be full. If that were true, we would have set that goal a lot higher than twenty thousand dollars. I'd have just told you to have faith this morning, and you could all wrote really large checks, or we'd all won that big lottery, or whatever. I'm not saying you should play the lottery. I'm just saying. Some of you would have, and you would have won it, and we could have talked then. He says, I want you to know about the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. We so often will wander through this life with no direction, unsure of where we're going, unsure of what we're going to do, not knowing what God has for us. And how ridiculous that is. How ridiculous it is for the church in Ephesus because Paul has just told them in verses 3 through 14 exactly what the hope they have in Christ is. They have been redeemed from their trespasses, they have been bought back from sin, they have been given an inheritance as the adopted sons of God. That doesn't sound like the type of person who's going to wander around through life defeated. That that doesn't sound like the type of person who's going to have no hope and no direction but how easy it is to get the basic things right to to say we love Jesus and to demonstrate that we love other people but inside our hearts at our very core we live like we have no hope we feel like we have no direction we're unsure of where we're going and what we're going to do. We, we, we have this storm that rages within us each and every day, and it's because we do not have the knowledge of the hope that we have in Christ. Listen, I would be the first one to tell you that simply because we know Christ does not mean that everything is easy. It does not mean that we have no problems, that we don't f- uh, deal with difficulty. It doesn't mean any of that. But what it does mean is that we have hope. And Listen, if you go outside these doors, if you go and knock on the front door of the houses around our church, many of the people that would answer that door are going to come to it with no hope. Some of them know it. Some of them live their lives and they realize they've got no hope, and others are just wandering through their existence and they don't know. That is not how we are to live. We have hope. Christ is coming back, and we, if we are in him, have hope. That's the first practical thing that Paul wants them to know, is that they have hope and live like it. Look at number two. End of verse 18 again. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Secondly, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The result of this hope is understanding that we do not live with no future. It's knowing that we do not live with no direction. God has made it very clear that there is something ahead for us. The saddest thing that I hear is when you're watching TV and you You see someone who is an atheist or an agnostic and they they look at life and they see that there is coming a point where we will die and they understand that because all people die but then they believe that there after that is nothing that we take one breath in this life and that's it there's a, a last breath our eyes are closed our mind stops our body begins to decay that's it They see everything based on what we have here in this brief moment that we have, this this life that the Bible calls a vapor that is passing away quickly. Billions and billions of people have lived since the beginning of time. And the belief by many is that they have been born, lived, and died returning to the dust with it not matter. The only way to live forever is to somehow be famous and have your name written in a history book. To be a memorable athlete or politician or statesman. That's it. You better have a a discovery. You better be someone famous or there is nothing. And friends, I'm afraid so often that is how we live. That is the direction that we have in our life. That is what we do with ourselves. We spend all of our time trying to live for today. We put our stock in things that really don't matter. A good example would be that this very building itself. I'm excited about getting back in here permanently. But what if we never did? What if that tornado that hit this way had hit a little more this way? Would that have caused us as a church to cease to exist? Would that have meant that we could have never worshipped together? Well, no. Because our existence is not based on a building. Our existence is not based on an address. The reason that we exist as a church is to give glory to Christ. He has promised us that our inheritance is far greater than a building that has leaky pipes. A building that 150 of you have filled up and made so hot and humid that we're probably all going to lose five or six pounds during the service. He wants them to know. He wants their hearts enlightened in knowing the riches of his inheritance is not in buildings. It's not in programs, but rather it is in Christ Jesus. Number three. Verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? The God who has created all that there is, the God of the universe, has spoken out of eternity and created all that we see. He has made it all. And it is all His. And yet, that God who is so great, who is so powerful who holds the world up with his hand, has looked down out of eternity at you. He has looked at you. And he is calling out to you. That's pretty amazing to me. How is it that the God who has made all that there is has decided to show you and I the immeasurable greatness of his power? That he has given us hope. That he has given us an inheritance. That we have something ahead of us. I think sometimes, and if you're from the north, I'm sorry. I've been there twice. That was enough. But if you're from the north, you may realize that this is often true. People in the north think that we down here are we're kind of dumb, right? and they're kind of right sometimes because we're kind of backwoods and we kind of do it our own way and and we kind of sit on back porches and sip sweet tea and you know do all those cliché those are kind of real right and we do like to go into the woods and kill stuff and bring it home and eat it that's pretty accurate so I mean they're not really that far off base right but let's be honest I mean if you're somebody you know, if you're somebody important do you move to New York City or do you move to Rodehis? <laughs> do you move to Hildebrand? Or do you move to L.A.? Well, L.A.'s on the West Coast, same thing. Uh, do you move to Boston? or do you move to Ikerard? If you're smart, you move to Iichord, but if you're famous, you move to Boston. We're kind of looked at as, you, know, in, insignificant. I mean, we're in Iard, North Carolina. We're lucky we have a stoplight. There's another one over there, and I'm not even sure if that's Eichard anymore once you get under the interstate. I don't even know how that works. But what God has said in his word is that he has looked down in Eichard, North Carolina, a place that gets one sign on the interstate. And he said, I'm going to show those people my immeasurable riches I'm going to show those people my promise and my love. I'm going to show them that they have value to me. You know what's great, though? Is that he goes to New York and Boston, who we kind of look at and go, you know, they're kind of snobby and rich and all those other things. And he goes, you know what? I love them. And he goes to Tegucigalpa, Honduras, where the airport is the most dangerous in the world and the the crime rate is one of the highest in the world. And he looks at those people there and he says, you know what, I love you too. And he goes to the jungles of Africa and he goes to the ocean communities of southeast asia and he goes to europe and australia and he goes there and he says i love you and i want to show you the immeasurable riches of my glory and one of those ways we get to see that is that all over the world this morning in hundreds of languages and among many people groups people are standing up and they're reading ephesians chapter one in their language and they are reading about god's immeasurable riches toward them You and I need to put our stock in things that matter. We need to devote our time to things that matter. And Paul prays that they would look at the first part of this letter and that they would understand the riches and the greatness of his power. They would embrace it in their heart, and it would direct their life. Now, what's this according to? Well, where does this come from? I want to close out with these three things. I want you to see these. He says there at the end of verse 19, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. How do we have this? How do we have this hope? How do we have the riches of His glorious inheritance? How do we have the immeasurable greatness of His power? He says it comes through what God has done in Christ. Christ. And he he did three things. Look at these. He says, first, he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. He raised Christ from the dead. The first thing we need to understand is that all of this we have is not something that we conjured up. It's not something that we made up and developed ourselves. It's not something that we just got together one day and thought up. It's not something we have because we worship in this building or that building or worship at this place or that place. It's because Christ has been raised from the dead. God has raised Christ up. See, we get caught up in what our famous politicians do or we get caught up in what this sports star did this night or that night. We get caught up in what This group is doing or that group is doing. We we get caught up in, in what we have or what we don't have. And what we need to understand is that all of this, this hope and this inheritance and the greatness of God is all made possible through Christ. That's the only way you can have it. If you thought this morning you could come to church and punch in your card and shake enough hands where people knew you were here and that would get you on God's good side, you're wrong. You came in on his bad side and you're leaving on his bad side. As a matter of fact, you came in and tried to make a mockery of him and left. What we have, if we know Christ, comes through God raising him from the dead. That fact trumps everything else. That fact is the ultimate sign of His power. The Bible promises us that if Christ has been raised, then we also will be raised. The fear that the atheist has that he's going to step out of this life into darkness is wrong. We will step out of this life, and we will step into an eternity somewhere. And in Christ, we can have an eternity with God. Secondly, he seated him at his right hand. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What does that mean? We, we have a, a, a vision here, if you will, an illustration that I think gets lost on you and I. You and I are not familiar with having a king or a queen sit over us. Sometimes the way the people in Washington work, it feels like we have a king or a queen sitting over us, but that's not exactly how it's supposed to function. When a king sits somewhere, he sits there with complete authority and complete power. No one is able to undermine what he has said and what he is doing. No one is able to overcome his decree. And this picture here of Jesus being set at the Father's right hand is a sign of God sitting on his throne in complete power and authority. And at his right hand, the position of prominence in the king's court, there Christ sits. And we understand from the scripture that Christ sits on his right hand and daily makes intercession for us. Daily talks to God on our behalf. Daily takes our case before God and says, this is your child, listen to him. Wouldn't it have been enough if Christ had been raised from the dead? Wouldn't it be enough if we had that power in our life? We had that ability to worship Him, that ability to come to Him. But what He has also done is taken Christ, seated Him at His right hand, and now He makes intercession for us. And thirdly, we have this hope and these riches because look, He has put all things under His feet. If you go back into verse 21, he has seated him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Not only is Christ presently in charge, but he will forever be in charge in the day to come. And all things are under his feet. You know, we go back to that that thought of not having hope, that thought of wandering through this life with no direction. We have been saved by the One who has all things, all problems, all power under His feet. The One who has been given to us. The One who who is in charge. The One who feels all in all, verse 23 says. Why in the world Would we want to live as though there are things that that are out of our control? Why why would we want to live as if we we can be defeated? That that we can be stopped? Why why do we live as if it's possible that there might come a time when we have to give up? You know, you young people who who are graduating here, you're going to face time, and it it will not be very long from now, where there is going to be the temptation to give in to the world around you. There's going to be the temptation to just give up and throw in the towel. That it doesn't matter what you do, that you're not going to be able to get ahead in life. You're, You're not going to be able to beat the system. And yet, we go back to this passage, and we are reminded that the one who has been raised from the dead, the one who sits at the Father's right hand, He has everything under His feet. See, some of you are here this morning and you just, you have trouble believing that. You, you just can't imagine that it's true. You, you just can't imagine That it's possible that God is out there and He is in complete control. You look at your life and you see that it's a mess. You look at your life and and you just don't understand where you're going. You see other people and they're they're getting ahead. You see people who you know don't have a relationship with Christ. Who you know do not worship Him. And you see them getting ahead and you, you feel defeated. I understand where you're coming from. I have been there myself. I have been to those times where I did not know where I was going, where I was unsure of what was going on. I've been to those times where my bank account was empty. I've been to those times where I just didn't see a road ahead. I just It was dark, and I, I didn't know where I was going. And I don't want to tell you that in that moment I was some super spiritual person and I read this passage and everything was alright. No. Far from it. But when I come back now and I look at this passage, I see that there was no need for me to feel that way. Because I have hope. I have a blessed inheritance in Christ. I have something that can never be taken away from me. Christ has been risen from the dead and we have hope so if you're here this morning and you you know Christ we could give thanks because on one hand you you have great faith and and on the other hand you you love the saints but you're just kind of treading water you're just kind of floating along You know that much, but it's not having an impact on your life. You know that much, but it's not directing who you are and where you go and what you're doing. Let me promise you this morning that these passages give us a great promise. It's not going to be easy. If it would have been easy, Paul would have just said, have wisdom. He would have said, you know what? All you need to do is have wisdom have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, and boom, everyone in Ephesus would have been taken care of. But he goes to God and he says, God, only you can give them this. Only you can implant this in their life. And that is my prayer for you this morning. Is that God, through the power of his spirit, would impress upon your heart that you have hope would remind you of the greatness of his inheritance, would, you, would remind you of his greatness overall in sending Christ and raising him from the dead. My friends, that is the only place that we have hope. Over the last few weeks, we've seen in Oklahoma where people have been going about their day, and in a moment, everything that they had was gone. And not just sort of gone. But you can't even find the stuff. It's not even like a fire where you could go in and at least know, well, this was here and, and it got burned up and this was here. Stuff 60 miles away. Just, just blown away. Families has gone. Children gone. Just like that. It's a reminder that, that in a moment everything can change. It's a reminder that in a moment, everything that we have that we think is important can be taken away from us. But this passage, or at least the passage before, reminds us that we have been sealed. So I want to encourage you this morning, as we we have our time of invitation in just a minute, that that you would cry out to God. That you would pray, God, give give me this peace. Give me this knowledge. Give me this understanding. God, put this in my heart so that when I face difficulties, when when I go through trials, God, that you will remind me that I have hope in you. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, and and some of you are in that category. Some of you are here and, and you don't know him. Let me tell you this morning that the unfortunate reality is that you are going through this life with no hope. I can't change that. If I could just change that in this moment, I, I would do that. I, I truly believe that I would just, I would give that to you and you could go about your life and, and be fine, but I can't. But some of you are here and you don't know Christ and you have no hope. But I want to promise you that since you're here this morning, Since for whatever reason you have showed up at church, for for whatever reason it was this church on this day at this time, Christ is calling out to you. His Word is speaking to you. And He's calling you to come to Him. You might not know what that looks like. You might not understand all of it. I want to promise you that I don't understand all of it. But this morning, if you will come, If you will come and cry out to Him, He will give you hope. He will give you this inheritance. He will show you His greatness that we have through our risen Savior. He's the only way. He's the only means through which we have hope and grace and redemption and forgiveness and adoption and all of these things in a list that is never-ending. So this morning... He calls out to you to come. Come and have hope. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we we are grateful that in you we have hope and we have grace and we have peace and that, God, it is never-ending. God, what breaks my heart is that there are those here who are wandering through life with no hope. God, my my prayer is that you are calling out to them loudly. Calling out to them to come and know you today. God, my... The other thing that's so sad... Is that God? So often we as believers live in a place with no hope. We work and we work and we strive and we fight. When God, you tell us to just lay it at your feet, you tell us to take on your burden for it is light. God, there are many believers here who live defeated. They, they go through life and they, they feel, God, just defeated by the burdens of this world. God, I pray that they would have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you this morning. God, that even in this moment, you would speak to their hearts and encourage them. God, that you are great, you are mighty, you are supreme over all. You're the name above every name. And God, all things are under your feet. God, we can rejoice in that. And Lord, so I pray this morning that you would speak to hearts and lives. And God, that you would call us to yourself today. And God, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This morning you have heard the invitation. We, we don't have to live like we have no hope. We, we don't have to go through those difficulties with, with no victory So whether you're a believer who is just feeling defeated or whether you need Christ this morning, would you come as we sing?